0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to begin with to Proverbs chapter number 2. Proverbs chapter number 2. Now we've been looking at the millennial reign. Uh, We looked on Sunday afternoon at the government of the millennial reign. And uh, tonight we're going to look at the inhabitants of the kingdom. The inhabitants of the kingdom. Who these groups of people are that are mentioned to us in Scripture that will be a part of the kingdom of the Lord. Here in Proverbs 2, verse 21 and verse 22. Proverbs 2, verse 21 and 22, last two verses of chapter 2 there. He says, For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall shall be rooted out of it. The upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. Now this being the kingdom of the righteous God, our Lord Jesus, the king of all the earth, this being his kingdom uh, and it being a holy kingdom, demands then that the inhabitants of that kingdom be a holy, righteous people. And so this, this is what is required, it being a theocratic government ruled by God here, then those people that are in his kingdom are going to be his people. They are going to be ruled by him. And there's going to be holiness, there's going to be righteousness, there's going to be justice. There's going to be, going to be uh, 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 well, the holiness is mainly the thing. That is His defining characteristic. And it's, His kingdom will be filled with that holiness. Not to mention the changes that would take place, as we looked at already, those changes that will take place naturally in this world. Uh, in, in which he's going to change even the animal kingdom itself so that the, the lion will lay down with the lamb during this time. And so there's, there's going to be a marked change in the, even the very creation itself during this millennial reign of our Lord. Now, it's still going to be, at this point, it's still going to be this alert. It's going to be this same terrestrial ball that we are living on now. But he's going to make those changes in it during this millennial kingdom. Now it is immediately following the millennial kingdom. When the judgments are done, as we've we've looked at those a little bit there in Revelation chapter number 20, that the earth itself will at that time be burned up, it's going to be recreated. but Peter says he's going to melt the elements with fervent heat at that point. And so it's there where the earth is going to be recreated at that point at the end of the millennial reign as we journey on into the eternal ages. But during the, during the millennial reign, during that thousand year period, the earth is still going to be this earth. But nevertheless, he's going to make these changes in the earth because he rules. Because he rules, these things will be changed. And so the inhabitants of the earth at that time are going to be holy, righteous people. Only those washed in the blood of Christ will be permitted to enter into the kingdom of Christ. As he says again here in chapter 2, the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. And since Adam's fall, since Adam ate of the fruit in the garden, uh, Jesus uses the example of the wheat and the tares in the parables when he's teaching concerning the kingdom of God. And he said it's like a big field and there's, there's the, the field of wheat. That's, that's that which God harvests. That's his. That's what, that's what he planted. But the enemy came in and planted tares among the wheat there. Since Adam's fall, those tares have been growing among the wheat. And the, the, in, the in the, in the, in the parable, rather, those servants of the, of the master said, well, do you want us to go out and pull them up. I so, said, no, don't go pull them up right now. You'll, you'll tear up the wheat with it, or you go pull it up now. Just wait till harvest time. At harvest time, we'll pick it right out. It won't be no problem. We'll separate it out then. And that's what happens at the end of the tribulation period, at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. That's when those tares will be taken out from among the wheat. And the wheat will be harvested, brought into the presence of the Lord. And those tears removed. Matthew 25. I'll go over there and look with me. Matthew 25. And the Lord gives a great deal of detail to us here concerning this event. Uh, this has uh, come to be known as the division of the nations. Uh, but this is where at those living during... The time of tribulation that come out of the tribulation, those alive at that point, those who are his people, those who belong to him, they are. he calls them his sheep, and those who are not his people, he calls them the goats, and he separates them at this point here in Matthew 24. I'm sorry, Matthew 25. And he, he says there in verse number 31 of that passage, He says, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and before Him shall be gathered all nations and He shall separate them one from another. Not nation from nation, but His people among those nations is what He's separating there. There There's some that have the idea that He's going to separate nations and He's going to have this nation that's His and this nation that's not His, no, it's just his people gathered from out among all of the nations. You see, wherever they may be, he's going to be gathering his people, his sheep, out from among those nations. And so he tells us here, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying. Now notice, it wasn't these acts that made them righteous. That's not how we get righteous. We get righteous by grace through faith. By the finished work of Christ. That's how we are made righteous. But because we have grace, because we have been made his children, it's going to be seen in us there's going to be works, you see, that are performed in our lives that others can see, that others will notice. And the Lord. this is what the Lord said. It was proven here that they were righteous. It was proven by the actions of their lives. And so he says, or the righteous answer rather, verse 37 Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? and When saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he also say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him. Saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now, at this division here that takes place in Matthew 25, these are the folks here. These, the sheep here, will enter into the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies. They're going to enter in in that state of their natural body at this point. They're not going to be changed until a 1,000 years is done. So they're going to enter in in their natural state. Now, you and I, we're going to be there, but we're going to be in the state of glorified bodies. And so we're going to be as our Lord in that sense. And so these folks that are entering in at this point, that this is, this is two divisions right here in, in the people that will be in the kingdom at this point. You'll have those in glorified bodies, which are those that are saved now. And then you'll have those in natural bodies of those that are saved during the tribulation period. This is how we will enter into the millennial kingdom. Those already with glorified bodies, those that enter in after the tribulation that are brought in in their natural bodies. Now, that's, that's the first division. Now, there are of those, or of these two groups, there are four basic groups of saints that will populate the millennial kingdom. There's, first of all, those glorified saints, those who have received their glorified bodies, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about, who are not of the Lamb's bride. And then you have those glorified saints who make up the Lamb's bride. And so our Lord has a bride that he has set apart. And there are those that are there that are not a part. They are guests of the bridegroom, if you will. So there, those are two divisions there among those glorified saints. Uh, by the way, the bride is the Lord's church, his churches. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us this. Now, this is the only verse that speaks to this. And so because it's the only verse that speaks to it, I cannot be adamant about anything else other than the fact that it is the bride is His church. That's That's all I can be adamant about. There's a whole lot of conjecture that goes in at this point, and I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm just going to say what the scripture tells me that I know is true. Second Corinthians chapter number eleven, Paul tells us that here as he's speaking to the church at Corinth in verse number two. 2 Corinthians eleven, verse number two. Now the remarkable thing is, is all of this mess that the church of Corinth was guilty of. I mean, that they had, if you had, if there was. If there was something you could have wrong, that was them. They had, <laughs> they had everything wrong that was taught them, they, they had everything upside down. And, and Paul spends the whole first letter that he's written to them, actually, his second letter that he'd written to them, but it's the first one we have recorded. And he, he spends that time in that letter telling them. This is what you've got wrong here. This is what you've got wrong here. This is what you've got You need to straighten this up. You need to repent of this thing. You need to make sure this is cleaned up. And he spends the whole time telling them, You've got all of these things wrong. Right? Paul is so hard on them that when he writes the second letter here, 2 Corinthians, he begins that letter. I'm sorry I was so hard on y'all. I'm thankful. That you received the letter. I'm thankful that you've made the, those changes that I, I said. I'm thankful you've repented of these things. I'm so thankful you heard me and but I'm sorry that I was so hard. I mean and it was first Corinthians it's a hard letter. I, I would I would hate to be receiving that letter from Paul. Especially receiving that letter and then it be put in the scriptures. Because <laughs> then everybody knows, right? But he, in in all of that mess, in all of in all of all of their failures, and all of the sin that they were a part of, that they had allowed within their church body. If any, I mean, if you're going to write off any church and say I don't think they're a true church of the Lord Jesus, that would be it. Which teaches us. But it ain't our business to be writing people off. Now, we can call their heresy heresy. We can declare what, we we can state where they're wrong. But we don't need to be, we'll let the Lord write them off. If we can't fellowship with them, all right, we can't fellowship with them because of the sin that's going on. But nevertheless, because of this, I'm not going to be so rambunctious to say, well, I just think the Lord's done with them. Because he's not done with them until he's done with them. And Paul writes in this second letter, chapter 11, verse 2. He says, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Paul, Paul wanted to see them faithful. He wanted them serving the Lord. He wanted to, to see them in the right place In their service, he wanted to see that faithfulness among them. He says, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. He said, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you, listen to this, as a chaste virgin to Christ. I have espoused you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's only possible. (laughs) That's only possible by God's grace. Mm -hmm. By God's grace. Because they failed. I mean, they, they had sinned so horribly. And all of those things they'd allowed in that body. And yet Paul's calling them here a chaste virgin to Christ. And this is the verse that tells us of his bride. That it is his churches. It is his churches. Now, there's more that speak to it, uh, to the bride itself, over in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. We'll look at those verses in just a minute, but this is really the only identifier that's spoken of here in that sense. And so you have the, the glorified saints, those that are not of the bride, and then you have those that are, that make up the bride, Then you have elect Israel made mention of and then those survivors of the tribulation period. That's the four groups, the four peoples that are found in the millennial reign of the Lord. Glorified saints of not the bride, the bride, elect Israel, and those surviving tribulation saints. Now, At the rapture, we receive glorified bodies. Um, And when the Lord returns for his kingdom, as is described for us in Revelation 19, we come with him at that point. Those saints that have received their glorified bodies return with the Lord to take his kingdom. Jude... 14. Jude 14. Oops. Wouldn't turn it far enough back. Jude 14. That's that little bitty book right before the book of the Revelation. I like to say chapter 14, but it's just one chapter. It's so Jude 14. It's really scary, though, if you don't know anything about the book of Jude and you hear the pastor say, turn to chapter 14 and chapter 15. We're going to cover these two chapters. 14 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him and so here that he's coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all this is he's not done that yet he's not executed this judgment yet that judgment is coming. At the end of the millennial kingdom, or at the end of the the tribulation period when he sets up his millennial kingdom, and then especially those final judgments there at the end of the millennial reign. But we, Jude tells us here, we're coming with him, or actually tells us, Enoch tells us that we're coming with the Lord when he returns. And we see that also in Revelation 19, uh, in that description there of his coming. Uh, he, He tells us in verse number 11 of chapter 19. He says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now John gives us a little bit of description of the Lord's appearance here. He gives us a a more uh, expansive description of him in Revelation 1 when the Lord gives him this revelation. And we see that when you compare Revelation 1 with Revelation 19, we see those same things about him that John sees in Revelation 1, he's seeing here also in Revelation 19, when he's coming to take his kingdom at this point. And so he, 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 he sees him with eyes, or a flame of fire, his head were many crowns, he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who is who is these who who are, I should say, these armies that he's speaking of? Well that's us. That's the saints of God that have their glorified bodies. They have received their rewards at the judgment seat of Christ at this point. And we know this because of what they are attired the in. Fine linen, white and clean is their dress. And he has already told us over in verse 8, look with me there. In verse number 8, this is the garment that is given to his saints. And to her, speaking of the bride, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints and so this was this was part of the outfit part of the uh, of the the reward that the lord is giving us is the the very linen garments, the clean white linen garments that He's put upon us, representing our righteousness in Him. And it is that righteousness that we have in Him that that is adorned us as we return with Him as He comes to take His kingdom. Uh, Verse 15, He says, "...and out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it He should smite the nations, and He shall rule them." with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords and so here is mentioned we are returning with our Lord as he comes to take his throne now The Lamb's Bride is going to be one of those groups that return with him. Um, Verse 7, we read here of the, the marriage supper that takes place here in heaven just before the Lord comes to take his kingdom, when he takes his bride there. And he says, let us be glad and rejoice... And give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted. That she should be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me. Right blessed are they. Which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me. These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so he he mentions here this this marriage supper that goes on, this, this marriage celebration that takes place just before he comes to take his kingdom. His bride also arrayed in that same fine linen is returning with the Lord when he comes. We will never be parted from him. Now I made a misstatement a minute ago. I said the only place it's mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse number 2. It's mentioned also in Ephesians chapter 5 very plainly. Uh, I, I, that just, just slipped right out of my brain. But it, it's also there in Ephesians chapter 5 that mentions the, the, the churches are his bride is what he describes there. He he uses that very example of his relationship with his church, of the relationship between husband and wife, and what should be found in their home. So I I forgot all about Ephesians five, I man. That was a big one, but but here he describes the bride returning with the Lord. So there is the bride. There is those saints. That she is revealed to here in this passage, as it's made known unto them who his bride is. And the third group was said is is the elect uh, of Israel, that uh, those of the Old Testament saints, those that are saved during uh, um, uh, before the tribulation period. Any of those from Old Testament forward of the Jews that are redeemed. Uh, They are part of that body that's mentioned there. Uh, The covenants to them ensure a special place for them in the millennial reign. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12, Zechariah chapter number 12 and verse number 10. Zechariah 12 and verse number 10. Zechariah writes here almost 500 years before the coming of the Lord. He says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Chapter 13 and verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David. And to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And so here, Zechariah is describing to us the salvation of Israel at the end, particularly at the end of the tribulation period. Those that are going to at last see Him and believe they would be a part of those those tribulation saints that are entering into the tribulation or into the millennial reign in their natural bodies, being that fourth group. But also those all of those Old Testament saints as well that were looking forward to the coming of Messiah, looking forward to the Lord's coming the first time. They are looking forward to that sacrifice to be made for them. Uh, And that was that faith that's spoken of, as Paul tells us about there in Hebrews chapter 11, of all that list of those Old Testament saints and their faithfulness all through the Old Testament period looking forward because of the promises that God had gave them, that he's going to keep those promises. And so he kept them for the Old Testament saints, he will keep them for those that are saved during the tribulation period just the same. Those those covenants remain sure during that time. Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 49 Isaiah chapter 60, 61, 62, all through those passages there, he's describing God's work toward Israel to bring them to himself and that he will accomplish this task. So this third group is those elect to Israel that were regenerated and restored to the Lord, uh, that these covenants belong to, that he's given to. These will also be in the millennial kingdom. And the fourth group are these tribulation saints who are converted during the time of tribulation. This group, as we talked a little bit about on Sunday, this group will enter into the millennial kingdom in their earthly bodies. And it is, it is uh, in these earthly bodies uh, that they are identified, and as we looked in Matthew 25, as the sheep of Christ. When he divides them from the goats, and because they enter into the kingdom in their natural bodies, they will live normal lives in the sense of what everybody else, how everybody else lives naturally. They will continue to marry. They'll, they'll continue to have children during that time. And so the population of these natural bodied folks during that thousand years will grow. And it'll particularly grow because those that are in the kingdom, they have access to the, the tree of life. The Bible says they can come in and eat of the tree of life that preserves their life for that thousand-year period. And so you have people that are, are, are living during that, that period of millennial kingdom have access to the tree of life, that their lives are sustained in that, for the fullness of that thousand years. But because they are having children, they're having uh, several generations there in that thousand years, there will be those that are, they're, they're still born with Adam's old nature. They're still born with that old sinful nature. That's not changed yet. And so because of that, they being born in that natural state, will have to believe on the Lord Jesus, just like you and I have to believe on the Lord Jesus. There will be those that will not. And in fact, the Bible tells us that there's going to be a lot of them that won't, that will, will depart, they will rebel against him, and in their rebellion, they will not have entrance into the city, they will not have entrance to the tree of life, they will be outcast in the kingdom, and they will be put out from the kingdom and they will go off into the four quarters of the earth to hide in those places away from the kingdom of the Lord. They do not, they, they, do, they don't have access because of their rebellion against Him. They do not have access to His throne nor to His kingdom. And they will not be protected by the the tree of life, they will be outcast from it and will not be able to partake of that tree of life as the book of the Revelation speaks to us and tells us about these things. Now we read in chapter 20 of Revelation, verse number 7, it is after the thousand year reign, Satan is bound, as we looked at Sunday, Satan is bound during that thousand year period, And it is at the end of the thousand year period that Satan will be loosed from his prison. And immediately upon his loosing from his prison, he's going to go find these rebels. And he's going to go out and gather them together as an army to come against the Lord. And so he's already lost the war and the final battle of Armageddon. He's already lost it. He was bound at that point, bound for a thousand years and then he's going to go gather him another army at the end of the thousand years, and he's going to go k- try to do it again. <laughs> You'd think he'd learn. He's already, already been defeated, but he's going to keep on. This, however, will be his final adieu. Uh, this will be when it is finished for him. The Antichrist and the false prophet are already cast into the lake of fire at the battle of Armageddon. This battle, he will go into the far reaches of the earth and the Gog and Magog and gather these rebels together to battle. And the Bible tells us there in verse number 8 of chapter 20, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So there's going to be a lot of rebels against the Lord by the time that thousand years is finished. And that that just, that just blows my mind. To see, to see, to see, now these folks were born during this period and so they, they have no understanding what the world was like before. They, they didn't experience what it was before, but now in this time of perfect righteousness, perfect holiness of life, a period of life, they can see, they can see the holiness, they can see the righteousness going on in the kingdom, and yet they will rebel against that because of that old sinful nature. And in their rebellion there, they would dare not only rebel against him, but then think, oh yeah, let's follow this Satan fellow and go back and fight against that dictator that's ruling over us. The Bible tells us, verse 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, that being Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So, once again, not much of a battle. Had a nice turnout, big army but not much fighting. The Lord wipes them out with fire from heaven, devours them, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The most important inhabitant Of the kingdom, however, is not these four groups that we've made mention of, but it is the Lord Jesus Himself. He will be seated on His throne, it will be a throne of glory. He will be reigning in unsurpassed majesty, and He has dominion over all of the earth and all of the inhabitants in the earth. And in his glory, he will have a perfect, righteous, holy, just rule. Righteous, holy, just rule that is unsurpassed. That we, we can't even begin to imagine based upon what we have seen in our own lives or even seen in history. We can't even begin to imagine the wonder, the wonder of our Lord's glorious kingdom and his rule. He's the most important inhabitant of that kingdom. For without him being the inhabitor of that kingdom, you and I would not inhabit that kingdom. We are there because he is there. So this is the inhabitants of the kingdom of our Lord in the thousand year reign. Now, next time we'll look, Lord willing, at the uh, judgments that we're told about there in chapter number 20. This is the second resurrection is what John calls it here. But it is not a resurrection unto life. Rather, it is a resurrection unto death uh, that he speaks of concerning those judgments there. And that will take place there at the end of the millennial reign of our Lord. And then we are brought into the eternal ages. Again, Again, the thousand years is only marked off because God's got stuff to do. The, the rulership, the kingdom does not stop at that thousand year point. It just marks the place where the kingdom, that or the, the, the judgments rather, are carried out. And, and the recreation of the earth at that point, heaven and earth, heaven's done away, new, new heavens and new earth made there, and we enter into those eternal ages at that point. And so the the, the whole, the whole uh, part about the, the marks, the scars of sin on this earth, are done away with at that point. It is at that point that the the whole of the creation is remade and renewed in the Lord Jesus and no more mark, no more stain of sin, no more sinful nature left behind at this point. We enter into a perfect, holy eternity. Everybody, perfect, holy, eternity. And that's what takes place in those in those, at the end of that millennial period, the kingdom goes on. Understand, the kingdom goes on. It does not end. It continues on. Our Lord continues to rule. It's just in the perfection of eternity at that point. All right, that's all right, and we'll be dismissed.